0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
1: We're gonna have a great time today talking with one of the uh, the leaders working on the cutting edge, the cutting edge of uh, of shadows of space time itself, and that is uh, that is Heino Falke, who is joining us today from the lower regions, <clears throat> the Netherlands. Uh, where he is a professor at Radford, Radboud, Radboud University at Nyman. Radboud. Radboud. Yeah. Radboud. Okay. So some things that, that, that the D's are hard, um, and we're going to talk about the Event Horizon Telescope because uh, I know I think that is it is, uh, it is un, unequivocal that you were one of the first originators of these terms that we search for the shadows of black holes. The event horizon that we're looking for that we have found that you, your team has found in 2019, when you made this wonderful press conference release, uh, which later resulted in um, in many uh, well-deserved accolades and, uh, and and awards all over the all over the world. You are currently, as I say, a German professor of astroparticle physics and radio astronomy. You won the 2011 Spinoza Prize. As well as a 2006 Academy Prize of the Berlin Brandenburg Academy of Sciences and Humanities. ERC grant uh, was uh, originated by you uh, for uh, some of this organizational, um, you know, the founding of this project and other projects to test. Einstein's theory of relativity. And for a long time, I have to commend you because I thought you guys would study Sagittarius A-star. I thought that was going to be your uh, first target. But instead, you turned to Messier 87, and I want to talk about why that choice was made and what the announcement that was made just yesterday implies for astronomy, for cosmology, for physics. Uh, But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the Event Horizon Telescope and what its mission is to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, today this is a, um, a big collaboration of uh, three hundred fifty scientists around the world. It was founded by thirteen stakeholder institutions, uh, among among them was you know, my university, but you know other places like Harvard, MIT, uh, Max Planck, and Bonn, uh institutions in Asia, um, and. Uh, we try to image black holes. We try to see them. And that was my long-term dream, actually, to finally see a black hole. Um, it started all for me 25 years ago when I was uh, indeed looking at the black hole in the center of our Milky Way. And uh, I realized that um, you know there's light coming directly from the event horizon, radio light, at a particular frequency. And that was what our models were, were, were telling me. Uh, and then, uh, you know, people in Bonn were working at this technology, very long baseline interferometry, which, you know, turns the entire Earth into a telescope. And um, and, and then at some point, I, you know, I, I found some old books about, you know, relativity, which described how a black hole, you know, would, would bend light. And, and in fact, you know, it amplifies itself. And... Um, and so what that means is that the dark region, the event horizon, would become actually larger than I had actually thought before. And it would be shined, you know, and our models would tell us he would shine light at it uh, from all directions. Um, and, you know, with that magnificent self-magnification of black holes, this, you know, what we then later called in this publication in 2000, this shadow of a black hole would possibly be observable by uh, a a worldwide global telescope operating at the highest radio frequency, something that was just in the infancy at the time. But that was such a a tantalizing uh, realization that, um, you know, we we could be looking into the darkness uh, of black holes and actually resolve that scale, see you know, see almost down to the event horizon where, you know, all light disappears, where information disappears. Um, and and from then on, we started, you know, working on it. I started working on it, doing bit more theory, some observations. Um, and then uh, we published this paper in 2000. And then uh, in, uh, colleagues in the U.S. started to do more experiments, a group of, of dolmen uh, developing broadband digital equipment, and in uh, in the 2010s, 11 12 we you know we thought we'd ha- all have to work together to make this happen uh, there's only one world and it doesn't belong to just one institution you have to work together and uh, if you want it or not you know um, <laughs> you you have you you if if you want to see black holes you need the entire world and uh, and out of that came the event horizon telescope which is uh you know was was a was a rocky start at the beginning and and now is is really you know gets going and 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 uh, and, and pushing through uh, the data and, and the science where the stakes are very high and you have to be very careful mm-hmm. uh what we do and so that sometimes it takes a long time
1: i want to talk as much about the team and how we uh, how we come to understand the, uh, the nature of large collaborations, I think, is very mystifying to most scientists, uh, non-scientists rather, and even to some scientists, you know, we're used to thinking of uh, scientists, the lay people might look at a scientist and say, oh, they're very specialized yeah, you know, I don't have any right to uh, to uh, learn about what they're doing because you know, I wouldn't go into a doctor's office and and just start you know messing around with the x-ray machine or something like that. And that's a specialized piece of equipment. And this is a specialized piece of equipment. but um but I think these types of things that you study, are really uh, captivating of the whole world, as as was shown many, uh, you know, just a few years ago. And yet, I think the public thinks about scientists as all just one big family working happily together. But I see it sometimes you have to combine almost rival teams, as as you mentioned, uh, in order to use the resources that are necessary. These telescopes. In your array, if I'm not mistaken, include telescopes at the South Pole in Chile, uh, Europe, everywhere across the planet. So it took a planet-sized telescope to do the work that you did. Talk about what, what is harder, measuring the the event horizon, uh, <laughs> capturing the light shadow, or assembling a team of hundreds of scientists around the world to get them all working together on a common goal?
2: I, I think the latter. Certainly for most of scientists, um, we are used to sit behind the computer, do our stuff, sit behind the equipment, make it work, work overtime, uh, and make sure, you know, we, we, we get the results we have and overcome obstacles. But then they're always, you know, annoying uh, other people, right? You have to work with. They always have different opinions. Um and, and usually you write your own papers and then, you know, you, you disagree and you go to conferences and then you, you discuss things, but you do your own thing. Now, here you have to agree on what to do, how to do it and um, and how to publish it. And you ch- have to check I- each other. Mm. But, you know, what is a, a challenge, sometimes a, a sociological challenge to... to uh, Egos and individualists as, as scientists is also a strength in the end. Um, because we only have one world, we can do this experiment only once. Um, we, um, we need to make sure we, we, we check ourselves. Hmm. So uh, usually, you know, if, if you're on your own, you publish a paper, someone else comes out, that's all crap, I have a better idea, and then they stand next to each other and it takes a long time until you, you know, the community accepts what is correct and who did, uh, who did proper data reduction, who did proper analysis, who had the right models and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you know, as I said, we need the entire world. Uh, we only have one group publishing this. So that competition... That checks and balances we have to build into the collaboration. It cannot be a monolithic one thing, which is just you know one you know uh, ruled by one person. And then uh, you know that's what we do. We have multiple groups, and 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 it became sort of a, a mantra that almost everything we do, we do at least twice or three times, and, and now I learned a new word, quintuple, uh, <laughs> quintu- <laughs> five times. Um, uh, so in the latest paper where we published this po- uh, polarization, you know, which tells of magnetic fields around the event horizon, uh, there were five independent teams and methods that all agreed with each other. Wow. And, and and you know, talk to the coordinators, and uh, that's a, a stressful process, but I think it's a... If you then look back at the outcome, yeah, and and you see what has all been done, because people are pushing each other, they are, you know, they say, you know, I've done it this way, you know, we we uh, we need to do this check. We cannot be entirely sure. We have to rerun this. Uh, um, The final outcome is is really impressive. Uh, I think what you know what you achieve together um, in what I call um, uh, competitive collaboration um is is so much better than what any individual can achieve yeah it still needs the, the vision and ideas of individuals and also the egos um but it uh, it it is you know this is nothing you can do on your own
1: mhm Uh, We have a question from a good friend of the show, Ernesto Eduardo uh, Dubard-Genez, I think is how I pronounce uh, Ernesto's last name. He's asking, uh, would a gravitational wave distort the geometry of the event horizon? Or, not even um, would it even affect anything inside or outside the event horizon? Can gravitational waves uh, from the black hole first of all, do they, does this black hole emit gravitational waves? And then, can they uh, perturb either inside or outside of the event horizon?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a great uh, question. Uh, Luckily, at this point, gravitational waves do not play. An important role for these black holes because they isolate. They're on their own. They're they're sleepy, so to speak. Yeah, you know, they're they're not bothered by by anyone else. Um, rotation waves are created if you have two black holes merge, or if you have something really you know sizable object fall into uh, the uh, the supermassive black hole, uh, then you disturb uh, space time. And uh, you radiate gravitational waves, and it actually does affect, uh, they affect each other. Uh, They affect each orbit, and they affect their um, even their metric uh, to the space time around them. So, we have a very stable environment. The metric is the same today, tomorrow, and in the future, in the next 100,000 years, the the space-time curvature of M87 will not change at all. And that's a big strength compared to the gravitational wave measurements that, that you know. Um, because there you have, you know, two black holes merging and it goes very quick and just bang, um, and you hadn't seen them before. You see the gravitational waves, and you have to infer all the prim- infer all the parameters, and then they're gone. You can't, you know, verify this anymore. Uh, you can, you know, you have lots of information mm-hmm. from from the data. Uh, we, at least, can go back and, and we have fewer sources, we have much fewer sources, but these few sources we can check over and over again. In fact, over the next hundred years, people can verify what we've done on this source. It will still be around. Uh, you can measure its mass better and better. Uh, so, that's a, a big advantage. So, you have fewer, but you can do them much better. Um, and, uh, and, and then you're testing really different aspects of gravity. To some degree, you know. In one case, you're testing the dynamics, and we are testing the space-time geometry, space-time curvature. Right, that's what we're measuring.
1: <clears throat> Another good friend of the show. Reminder: talking to heino Falca of Rad- uh, bode University uh, in the Netherlands. We're talking about the event horizons, uh, really monumental discovery announcement yesterday. We'll get to why that's so important in just a bit. Just a reminder: please subscribe to this channel. Hit the subscribe button. And you'll be notified we have a lot of live streams coming up. We have David Spergel coming up very soon. Uh, and we're going to have John Mather, winner of the 2006 Nobel Prize. Don't want to miss these conversations. And uh, leave a comment and uh, thumbs up. And follow uh, Heino on Twitter. His handle is at, uh, uh over there on Twitter. So a question from Sebastian Clark. Can a black hole diffract gravitational waves? Can it act as a gravitational lens? Or even absorb the energy from a, bl- a gravitational wave.
2: That's a good question. I'm not the main expert really on, on general relativity, but I think that that is the case um, because you have gravitational waves. Uh, you know, they deform space-time, and if you if you run through gravitational, you know, the, the only the only object that really in the, in a major way change space-time is is our um, our black holes. I mean. Earth as well, but you know it's it's a minor change, uh, and gravitational waves to some degree behave like light, um, and and light is 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 being deflected uh, around uh, black holes, and uh, in in fact, if you calculate gravitational waves that are being emitted from this this merging process. You're really making, you know, um, uh, the same kind of calculations to some degree as you would do for light. You know, gravitational waves are um, you know, even even emitted at the same radius. Um, you know, if you see that ring of light uh, that we see in in M87, mm-hmm. this comes from light going around the circle, more or less uh, uh, around the black hole. You know, light is almost 100 percent bent, and uh, the emission. Uh, of gravitational waves happens at exactly the same scale. This is where the gravitational waves are you know uh, produced, you know and and released. So we are really probing the same kind of physics uh, and the same kind of scale, spatial scale, as in uh, in in, in uh, with light and with gravitational waves. and we're really probing even the same aspect of the metric you know there's there you know there's a you know, space metric is a um, space time metric is described by various components there's a time light me- metric and that's directly related to the size of that ring and to the emission region of gravitational waves so really there are lots of similarities even though they are completely different techniques to some degree it, it just the difference is one is dynamic and the other one is, is, is static uh ah. <clears throat> very good. And one is light, and the other one is space-time. <laughs> space-time light. <laughs> is, is, is that a, a word that we can invent?
1: <laughs> so let's talk about the telescope itself. Uh, can you give an overview? It's a worldwide telescope. It has it's a radio telescope, which means it operates uh, primarily at uh, at millimeter free wavelengths and below, and above. Uh, but can you say more about what are the primary components of it? And uh, and was this detection yesterday? This announcement yesterday was this always in the planning, or were you guys um, kind of surprised by it, or serendipitously found that magnetic fields were were um, were robust enough to detect and actually do scientific uh, make scientific measurements with?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're using radio telescopes. It's actually radio telescopes. It's actually a network. Uh, so the telescope is a network of, of, of telescopes. So it's a, a telescope of telescopes, um, a very hierarchical uh, a structure, so to speak. Um, and uh, you know, we have, as you, I think you mentioned that before. We we used to have eight telescopes on six different locations. Among that, this really giant ALMA telescope. It's a billion dollar, billion euro. Um, a, a, a telescope, which in itself consists of smaller telescopes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you, you have ALMA, which has, I think, 64 dishes, which are combined into one telescope, and then that telescope is combined with all the other uh, seven telescopes into a worldwide telescope. So really, you're building up that uh, uh, that, that that structure from from uh, from few telescopes to more to even, even more telescopes. Um, and, uh, and you have a telescope in the South Pole, a 10-meter telescope. It's a small telescope, but, you know, the South Pole is a very dry and cold region. Um, and uh, millimeter waves that we observe are actually affected by the humidity in the air. So you want to go to a high mountain where it's really dry, and South Pole is actually uh, perfectly yeah. uh, uh, suited for this. I myself was in, in uh, you know, initially in Arizona. Uh, there's a, a telescope which, you know, used to be a German-American uh, a telescope. Now it sort of belongs to Arizona on its own. And then it was in Spain. There's a 30-meter telescope uh, in, in the uh, Pico de It's just near Granada. Uh, uh, you know, sort of you you can almost see the Alhambra, and you can see the the oceans from the mountains, and you can go skiing next next door. It's a mm-hmm. it's a wonderful telescope. It's a massive uh, big telescope um which uh, usually looks for molecular lines which looks for dust for for chemicals in in the universe mm-hmm. and only when you combine it with all the other telescopes it gets the resolution to uh, uh, to see the um to see the event horizon yeah. so all of these telescopes have their own personality i always say you know is uh, uh, and that has you know, gives gives problems. Also, telescope is only human, <laughs> uh, after all, right? So, <laughs> it's run by humans. It has its own uh, quirks and, 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 and problems and, and, and properties uh, that need to be taken care of. Um, and then you have to make sure it all works. It, it works all in, in synchronization. And you put atomic clocks next to the telescopes to synchronize them. That's still not good enough. Mm-hmm. um because you need to then correct the atomic clocks by looking at actually um uh, quasars and black holes in the universe which actually act as reference points and therefore you can use them also as as, as co- to correct your your, your clocks uh, Um, You need to actually, when you bring the data together later, you need to take into account uh, aspects like, uh, well, the precise position. You need to be to to a fraction of a millimeter. You need to sort of determine the position of the telescopes across the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, in, In the initial models, people, you know, measure and take into account continental drifts. Uh, the tidal waves. I mean, the, the Earth's breezes. You know, it goes up and down. Uh, all these 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 things have been put into these models actually over the last decades. You know, we didn't invent this. We we make use of like 40 years or 50 years of of, of work on on VLBI that has come to a culmination really in, uh, in in this experiment. So I could go on and on. You know, yeah. talk about the polar wander. Right, the, the the Earth wobbles, <laughs> uh, and that's something you would see. Uh, in, in in this real bi data uh, like uh, you know some of this you 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 can calculate sort of Jupiter pulling on on the earth so you know the earth wobbles a little bit but then there's a 10 meter or 20 meter wobble that's left and that has to do with the you know, the ocean swapping around and the, the the air being on one side a bit more than on the others or, or whatever so I mean, <laughs> the it, the earth is pretty round but you know it, it, at a certain level everything becomes an egg <laughs> and 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 that's right.
1: Um, so good. good. So we have another question. Are there observations ongoing? I know a lot was canceled due to COVID. What's the current status of observations?
2: Yeah, good, good question. I mean, we had, we were extremely lucky. Twenty seventeen, we had uh, uh, our, anos mirabilis, mirabilis, uh, you know, a, a miracle year where everything worked. The weather was fine all around the world. All the telescopes worked, mm-hmm. um, and and we got all the data we needed. Um, and, uh, uh, by the way, I didn't answer the, the previous question, I have to come back to, you know, whether that was polarization was planned or not. And uh, in 2018, we tried again. And then, you know, some telescopes were, weren't ready, some receivers were, were not working. Um, we, uh, uh, we had bad weather. In fact, I was in Spain, you know, I couldn't see the top of the telescope. It was so <laughs> foggy. We were little in the middle of clouds. Uh, <laughs> and that was, we couldn't see even the brightest radio sources we couldn't see anymore in 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 some days wow. and then at one telescope even you know one of the the crew was actually uh, held at gunpoint and we stopped the observations because it, it, it looked it was too dangerous in in that region and and it was uh, and the entire telescope was shut down actually for a year or two uh, because of, of, of security issues. Uh, and then uh, 2020, uh, 2019, we were all extremely worn out and some telescopes weren't ready again for maintenance and other reasons and security issues, as I mentioned. And then we were hoping 2020, yeah, we're going to observe again. Well, you know, Corona <laughs> struck. It was like, really, I mean... Uh, the last telescope, you know, we, we dropped it two weeks before uh, the observing run. And, you know, it was clear there was, a, there was a global lockdown and we couldn't do the observations anymore. But 2021 looks like it's going to happen mm-hmm. in April. Oh, so wow. maybe we're lucky. Uh, we have more telescopes now. We have the Greenland telescope. We have oh, in nice. France the NUEMA uh, array uh, by IRAM. It's it's on the, in the French Alps, a two and a half thousand meter Uh, Altitude uh, plateau uh, in in, in the snow. It's a wonderful dish. It's very harsh conditions, but you know, I've I've gone up there by helicopter. Uh, (laughs) I got a VIP treatment once by them, and uh, and you you fly up there and you think it's like a James Bond movie because you know you're going up the Alps, nothing is there, and then suddenly out of this, you know, on this top of the mountain, you see, uh, you know, these these eleven by now should be twelve silver dishes, 15 meters in diameter, with a with a big building in the center where actually entire dish can be moved into it um, and, and, and so it's it's bizarre but it's you know it's taking data for 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 i don't know 20 or 30 years now i don't know how old it is now it's uh, probably uh, in the late 80s it was built um yeah these are wonderful dishes and each, each one of them has it has their own stories and, and and people and yeah usually wonderful places Wow. And each of them has different food, right? So if yeah, you're in Spain, you right. get Andalusian food. If you go to France, you get French food, and if you go to Arizona, you get deep fried pizza that you get from the <laughs> supermarket. Well, okay. you get nopales, yeah. Uh, and in uh, Greenland, you, what do you get? You get Danish food. Or what I Haven't been there, food? I must say. Yeah, it's it's interesting because that's a it's 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 officially Danish territory, I think, uh, but the, the Greenland people are you know feel pretty independent, I think. Uh, and uh, the telescope is run by uh, uh, our colleagues from uh, uh, the Taipei, mm. so... Oh, wow. Oh, so it's really, truly international, even
1: within <laughs> each. <laughs> it's that, very uh, fun. Arizonans running in Greenland and Taipei. Um, so we were going to talk about polarization and the announcement that was made yesterday. And we'll take more questions. Remind, I'm talking to Falca, who is one of the leaders uh, and originators of the idea of looking for light shadows. Isn't that interesting? I always say what I do is interesting because I'm looking for uh, the exposure of gravitational waves on the cosmic microwave background radiation, so we're using waves of light to expose waves of gravity in sort of an old-fashioned film camera metaphor. But you're actually looking for shadows of gravity that are deleting out light, sort of acting as a as a as a sink, as a vacuum cleaner for light. And that was one of your main, uh, or, or you know, kind of inspiring ideas way back when, before you even got funding to do this project. So uh, talk about what is polarization. I, I, my, my audience, as you can already tell, is extremely astute. They know a great deal, but there are some non-experts out there. What is polarization of a radio wave, and why does that tell us anything of interest about black holes that we
2: didn't know before? You may actually notice if you go to, uh, if you have a polarized sunglasses or actually a 3D movie. Well, they typically have polarized glasses, which you know switch on and off in in, in some coordinated fashion. Um, and there's a hidden property of light that it has a direction of uh, of oscillation. It's a light wave, and it oscillates in a certain plane. Can oscillate, you know, from left to right, but it can also oscillate up and down. And uh, normal light from the sun is unpolarized. It, it oscillates, you know, the half of the light is going left, right, the other half is going up and down. Uh, and so that averages out. But if you shine light on, for example, glass, you know, it's, it's reflected off glass, then actually light gets a preferred direction. Uh, it, it, it will be polarized only a certain, you know, uh, orientation of uh, uh, of, of this uh, oscillation will be emitted. And the same happens if you actually produce radio emission. Uh, a very simple example, if you have an an, an, uh, an antenna, just a little rod antenna, right? You have electrons going up and down, and they produce electromagnetic waves. And th- the waves will be sort of polarized, you know, which is sort of determined by the direction of, of this antenna. Um, so you'd have to one, if, if you get unpolarized radio emission to transmit, you'd have to have an antenna go up and one antenna go left to right. You know, I have a cross, essentially. Then you would get unpolarized radio emission. But if you have one antenna, it's only uh, one polarization that you pick up or that you transmit. And, uh, and, and and you know, detectors can, you know, our eyes cannot see that. I think some animals can actually see polarization. Yeah, bees can. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but uh, but we have to use, you know, radio telescopes, polarization filters to actually translate that for us. And, uh, and, and so radio telescopes can do this. They can split the radio waves up into different polarizations. In fact, they always do. And so this was always in our data and was always planned. It was actually something we always had to take into account. Um, so the only problem, really, only problem, quote unquote, is just to... Uh, to calibrate it properly, to make sure the outcome is right. And that, you know, from, we had the data since 2018 on our hard drives. Um, but, you know, to actually reduce and calibrate it took uh, three years, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, understand everything. It's just, you know, because you need to understand every little detail and so forth. Um, so, uh, that that is a hard part. And what does it tell us about black holes? Well, um, you um, uh, ultra radio light will be polarized near black holes and what is polarizing it? It's magnetic fields and magnetic fields play a very important role in controlling the gas flow that's falling into a black hole. They can actually uh, you know they, they can be dragged along and just disappear in the black hole or they can become so strong that they even halt. Uh, the, the the plasma, they form sort of a Star Trek-like shield, right, uh, um, around <laughs> the black hole, which could even pr- protect gas from falling in. And they can be wound up and lead to plasma shooting out along the rotation axis of, of the black hole. And so black hole, magnetic fields, you know, in, on Earth, you know, we use them to for for the compass and and to measure, you know, direction of uh, where Columbus would would go, right? So we usually don't use, we don't see them as very strong effects. But around black holes, these magnetic fields really determine the dynamics and the entire drama playing around black holes. Um, And they polarize the light in a certain direction, typically in a direction perpendicular to the magnetic fields. And so the image that we published shows the polarization of light you know the the direction where it you know uh, oscillates and sort of the magnetic fields that where it comes from is roughly 90 degrees relative to those fine lines that you see in this uh, in this image but then there are also relativistic effects and so forth so you know the, the real image in the end is much more complicated how black holes look like um, nothing is simple around black hole nothing is simple but uh, uh, more or less, you know, if you see that polarization, you know, polarized light, you you roughly get a feeling where the black, where the bla, uh, the, the the magnetic fields are and what they're doing. So yeah,
1: one of the um, the properties of black holes they're kind of like particles. Uh, they can have a, a lot of different characteristics, uh, but actually they're you know they're limited to a handful. We have uh, mass, charge, and spin, and black holes uh, can have similar properties, but almost no more. Right? Isn't that the so-called uh, no hair theorem of black hole—that uh, they're they're really kind of fungible in a sense. They aren't they are they are that complex in, in, in a in yeah. a deep sense. Again, in that black sense, holes black holes
2: are, black holes are the most boring uh, <laughs> uh, the, the most boring objects in space, right? So they have these two parameters: the spin and the mass, and that that, that tells you everything about it, right? Um, so, uh, but they uh they, they 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 look and they, they don't have hair as you say right so they're the black holes themselves do not have the magnetic fields right so you, you cannot thread magnetic fields through the event horizon for example yeah you know, they go from the inside to the from the event horizon to the outside like we have on earth right we have a magnetic field that's generated inside you know in the poles you have this poloidal magnetic fields and goes to the outer space and protects us as well, uh, and you know, and, and connects to the inside. That's not possible in black holes. So if, if if magnetic fields fall into it, the magnetic fields will be cut off, and uh, and cut off from the rest of uh, of, of the in- environment. Yet we see those magnetic fields. Uh, very close to the event horizon. That's anchored in the uh, in the plasma that's rotating around. It's being amplified. So while black holes cannot have hair, they can have a wick, you know, I, 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 I like to say. Mm-hmm. And so they're really, you know, surrounded by this, you know, hair of magnetic fields, but it doesn't go inside. And that's, uh, I think, an important thing to understand. What can we learn more? I've had on Lenny
1: Suskin and Sir Roger Penrose and others. And um, in Roger Penrose's case, he talks about the singularity as sort of the most interesting aspect of a black hole. Uh, Lenny Susskind on the other hand will say, no, it's the, what he calls the stretched horizon. Uh, he it's sort of above the event horizon by uh, a plank length or something like that. Um, what is the most interesting aspect of a black hole and what to you personally, and then what kind of future properties of light we've we've seen that the light has a spectrum. We know it has polarization. We know it has isotropy or patterns um, thereof. Are there any other properties that have yet to be discovered that um, uh, we've seen time variability you've made? You know, what, what would be the next, not the next major discovery, although I hope that you'll clue me in next time there's a big discovery. I'll keep it confidential. I promise. Uh, but, uh, but are there other properties of light or radio waves that can be exploited Uh, not speaking specifically, but can there other discoveries be made using the capabilities of technology?
2: Uh, That was a good try to getting some confidential information out. (laughs) But uh, um, now let me start with the last question before I go back to the, I think, more fundamental question you raised at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, What actually is, what what makes black holes so interesting? Uh, Certainly one of the the important and maybe long-term goals really is to see whether black holes are spinning. And, uh, and that can produce a very interesting effect in combination with magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the, 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 black, the spin-off black holes will make the space around black holes also co-rotate. And you know magnetic fields are in that space and they'll be drawn along. And this way you can actually transport energy uh, transport rotationally energy from the black hole, to the environment. You can actually, you know, slow down the rotation of a black hole through magnetic fields that are threading around it and put it into a powerful plasma outflow. Hmm. And we, we, we are, you know, we, we think that's what's happening really in M87, uh, at least in our simulations when we try to explain what we're seeing, uh, the effect that gives at least some fraction, some significant fraction of the energy to this outflow actually spin energy from the black hole uh, that's not not the entire story but that that certainly is an important effect and and this is a very fundamental effect that you know was also I think uh, also by Roger Penrose was the first one to describe a process with light where you can shine light on a black hole it can actually extract uh, spin energy from a black hole by you know scattering light uh, in a different way left or right around a spinning black hole mm-hmm. so that that's a very fundamental thing you know really you know, isn't that cool, right? You you extract energy from a black hole. I mean, this is <laughs> a mighty, battery, you know. Right. Yeah, Jan Eleven, a, a mighty it. battery. You just tap into it, and, and you get uh, a, you know, a huge amount of energy out. <laughs> and that's what what these supermassive black holes do. Um, and on, in the in the very long run, yes, of course, it's 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 this big question: what's really happening at the event horizon? What's happening with information? What's happening really early? And in and um, Indeed, it's, it remains a fundamental question. You know, maybe the, the, the event horizon is totally boring. You know, at least in relativity, when you fall through the event horizon, you know, nothing really exciting happens. Um, you know, it's just you, you wouldn't even notice really uh, anything happening to you. And even like a supermassive black hole, like M87, you could fall through it. You would be—you wouldn't even be ripped into pieces because it's—you <laughs> know—it's so big. Tidal forces are not so strong. You know, you are so small compared to. Uh, that big, big black hole, but you know it, it, what's happening is the singularity, and the annoying and, and almost, um, yeah, the, the, these, this, uh, yeah, this mightily annoying aspect is that we 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 can't know, right? So because because it's event we can't look into it. There's some ex- extremely exciting physics where time is reversed, where. All the matter is turned into something that we have no clue of what it is, right? How can you have six billion solar masses in, in disappearing in something that is you know, in, in almost infinitely small? Mm-hmm. What's happening there? Um, some extremely weird physics that's beyond our, our understanding, and we can't measure it. <laughs> that's so it's like you know. I always compare this to uh, like like Christmas time right so uh, you have you know at least you know in, in the old days my, my parents would you know you would all the presents would be in, in the room and then the door would be shut right I would not be allowed to go in and you could peek through the the, the keyhole a little bit and try to figure out what what's going on there's this Christmas tree and all these presents around and so forth um, but you know, you know, next day, tomorrow, you know, you know or we, we celebrate in the evening, you can go in and, and you know and, and look what's in there, right? And, and right now it looks like you know the universe and God tells us, right? So know, yeah, there's this wonderful physics inside. But you know, this door I keep shut, right? You know, just you know, go off. <laughs> you can look through the keyhole, but you know, you're, you're not going to see anything, uh, and that that makes it so. Um, so dramatic for physics, you know. Right. We, we're, we're rattling on this door. We try to get in. We, we try to understand what's happening inside black holes. We can dream about it. We can uh, we can have many theories. I mean, there are so many ideas and theories, uh, you know, from Penrose to Zurekians, but many others. Um, but how are we going to test it? And this, I think, is is, is sort of a you know the the big battle that we are going to fight in the next uh, i don't know years 10 years decades 100 years 1000 years i have no clue whether and when we will solve that right
1: no that's what makes that it. makes
2: it so Interesting. Um, yeah, but I want to go as far as
1: possible. That's why I wanted to go to this this edge of black holes. Maybe you'll go journey someday
2: into the black hole with uh, with Elon Musk uh, and SpaceX. So we're talking today again. I, 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 I'm happy to let him go. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 ready to, you know, I'm I'm willing to stay behind and that's you know, right. You'll enjoy this this right. planet. Well, someone's
1: got to host the press conference at home. Uh, so we're talking again with Heino Falca, one of the leaders of the Event Horizon Telescope. You can find him on Twitter, HFalca. And uh, you can find Event Horizon Telescope. I'm showing some images here on uh, YouTube. Please do subscribe to this pod- podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Just hit the hit the subscription little bell there or whatever it is, uh, wherever you may be getting this. De Heine's book is coming out in the U.S. at least in May. I think it's already out some parts of the universe, right?
2: Yeah, it's a. It was already out in German. I, you know, it was easier for me to write it in German. Uh, then it got to the Netherlands, and then uh, in Spain, it's out now. And now it's coming to the U.S. at uh, May the Fourth. May the Fourth be with you. Can't wait. Uh, it's a wisely chosen uh, date, Star Wars day. Um, and then you can, you know, read the entire story of the Event Horizon Telescope. Uh, from um, in fact the first first view of a little child, you know, it's inspired by the moon landing, to uh, the first view uh, together with with students and colleagues uh, of of this entirely new world, uh, the, uh, uh, the the exciting region around black holes. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing journey from you know the really the you know the the first astronomers looking at the stars to, to us now looking into black holes. We've come a long way, really. Yeah, we um, certainly
1: have. And uh, even in just the last couple of weeks, it's been the news won't stop. Yesterday or two days ago, I had on James Beecham uh, and Phil Ilton of uh, the Large Hadron Collider and the Atlas experiment and the LHCb beauty experiment uh, that detected potential evidence for a fifth force of nature, uh, new materials, new matter, new violations of fundamental symmetries. Uh, this announcement came the day after. Uh, by your team and uh, your collaborators. Uh, you know, who knows what's going to come next. A couple weeks ago, similarly, there's been just you know, a, a spectacular news coming out of all quadrants of astronomy and physics, and it's just an amazing time. We landed a, a helicopter on Mars, and we're going to have an airfield on another planet, which actually has a piece of the Wright Flyer, you know, this little fabric uh, segment of the original Flyer 1 that the Wright brothers flew from Kitty Hawk and now it's on Mars and they set up an Mars. airport there yeah. so there's going to be TSA delays I'm sure uh, but stay tuned for more great uh, events on this channel we have David Spergel coming up John Mather uh, and many other uh, great guests coming up uh, as uh, as well as uh, Professor Sarah Seeger. Uh, who made a big announcement herself last year of uh, potential uh, evidence for phosphine, which is a byproduct we think of life? She's a guest that will be on very soon as well. So, Haino, uh, in the uh, few minutes we have left, we do have more questions, and I want to uh, bring those up. So, um, why were black? How can black holes survive potentially? Uh, these these collisions and explosions and and sort of uh, e- events that would ordinary tear ordinary matter apart. What what actually is the force that makes black holes so resilient against the most cataclysmic forces in nature?
2: Yeah, and 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 it is gravity, and that that's really amazing aspect. That gravity is really the weakest of all forces, uh, and and it keeps us on the planet, but it doesn't destroy us. But if you really you know if, if everything pulls together in one direction, then gravity wins over all forces in nature. And that's because there is no anti-gravity, right? So in electrons and protons or you know in charges you have po- uh, positive and negative charges in magnetic fields or north and south pole, gravity you only have gravity. And, and that, that makes it very special it all. And if you think about gravity is actually that made-all world. Right, you had this big bang, uh, but then it was due to gravity that everything came together and assembled, and uh, and, and and you formed an Earth and uh, and planets and sun and stars, and it's so yeah it's gravity that 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 gives us life in the in in in, in this universe, and and yeah, it, when it all you know it, when it it runs away when gravity becomes stronger than anything else. It, it collapses, it forms a black hole, and then there really is nothing there to, 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 um, to escape its, its grip. Yeah. And that is uh, very, uh, yeah, it's very fundamental and, and strange uh, mm-hmm. property of gravity. And uh, and indeed, the last thing that will survive probably in this universe are really supermassive black holes. Yeah, I mean, the M87 will live, I mean, if, even if, if there's Hawking radiation, M87 will live a staggering 10 to the 97 years. So it's mm. one with 97 zeros. Wow! You know, I, you know, in this book, I tried to calculate. You know, I, th- I thought I would tried to explain this somehow in, in a way that we can comprehend. Uh, it was impossible. It was like, you know, I, if you know, over the lifetime of the universe, you take one proton, one atom, out of this universe. Okay, every age of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And you keep doing this. The universe will be gone faster than this black hole will have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just uh, one atom. <laughs> you know, gazillions of, of 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 protons and atoms in this entire universe. And that's scroll. right. You
1: know, people want to talk about you know a supernova that's brighter than the whole galaxy that it lives within, but uh, but these black holes have have a permanence that uh, Hollywood celebrities can only dream about. Ernesto is asking Absolutely. again that is entropy not? An, you said that there's only these two properties of black holes. But he's asking: Is not entropy a uh, a property related to temperature of the black hole? That's an, another distinguishing feature. Uh,
2: well, this is, is sort of a something that came out of you know the, sort of the aspects of quantum gravity, and uh, and you can. But in the end, these these properties of black holes, you know, entropy or or, or temperature, are directly related to the mass. Yeah. Mm. So it, it's just a different word word. For the math of a black hole.
1: Right. Ali is asking, apologies if this came up. I don't think it did, but why do you think that uh there is a supermassive black hole at the center of almost all galaxies? What is what is the <clears throat> reason behind that? Is it coincidence? Is it do they form? Are they the reason that galaxies form? What is our best knowledge about that? <laughs>
2: Yeah, stuff got to go somewhere, right? So, <laughs> and, and if you look at the evolution of a, a cluster of of stars, uh, you know you have this, this distribution of stars. Some of them will turn into black holes. They will sink towards the center. They, you know, the, the, the heaviest objects typically sink towards the center, and and then there's no way to go. At some point, they have to co- coalesce into one bigger black hole, and then more and more will come and it will keep growing. And since a black hole doesn't really evaporate fast enough enough on any any galactic time scales, it will just get bigger. And so it's almost unavoidable that you have supermassive black holes at the very center, unless they're kicked out. But you know, who is who's ready to, you know, to bully a supermassive black hole out of a galaxy? I mean this is <laughs> it, you know, it, it only can be another black hole more right. or
1: less. <clears throat> Thor is not going to make it all the way out there. Um uh so and then the next question is more of a host prerogative question as the host of the Into the Impossible podcast, please do subscribe and leave a comment if you're enjoying this and if you're new to the channel yeah leave a leave give me a thumbs up uh, uh in the in the little uh, icons there um so what's next for our galaxy we saw last year andrea Ghez um and uh, reinhard genzel won nobel prizes for the work that they did to image the um the motion and the dynamics of stars near the uh, it just said compact object at the center of our guy. Ga- didn't say supermassive black hole. Uh, exactly. Look, yeah. What is the uh, prospects for event horizon? Is there is there something that precludes the event horizon telescope from seeing it? Is it easier to see M eighty seven because it's sort of uh, more more massive? What What are the pros and cons of Sag A star versus M eighty seven, for example?
0: <laughs>
2: Uh, we should be able to see it, right? Eventually. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. That's what got me going in, initially. That's what we wanted to see. And M87 was sort of a lucky shot to some degree, right? So mm-hmm. it, and it turned out to be a very good lucky shot because it's, it's a big one. It's, it's, uh, and so all the, the gas that rotates around takes actually, you know, f- days to weeks, like three weeks to go around. So if you take a, a picture within a day, it's actually relatively stable. Uh, in the galactic center, stuff goes around in, in 20 minutes or so. Uh, so within a day, it has, it has made many, many rotations. And so that makes it really hard to, uh, to image. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, then you're integrating over longer timescales. So that actually is better. So we are, you know, we, we are, we are more um, sensitive to the space-time, which is stable over uh, and much less affected by uh, the variability of, of the plasma, which, you know, can move the shadow a little bit around and, and, and makes intensity brighter left or right sometimes. Uh, so in the long run, uh, such a star, the center of a galaxy, will be the prime target, the one that is really most important. And we, we have yet to see the event horizon and the shadow in this one. But thanks to the work of, of Gensler and Gaze, we know exactly how heavy it is. You know it's less than a percent it's a fraction of a percent we know the mass. We know the mass of this black hole better than our own mass, right our own weight um, and 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 so by you know we know exactly how big the shadow should be because that's related to the mass um, and there's something we we should test we will test we will. We will see eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. we, may, we may need a few more uh, uh, telescopes in the long run to do it a little bit better. We may want to go into space uh, e- eventually, but yes, we will see it. We will see the shadow. I'm I'm pretty convinced, and uh, I, of course, I, it would be nice if it would be not exactly as we expect it to be. But uh, you know, we have to <laughs> we have to wait and see and That's look right. what the data tells us.
1: And I assume I'll be the second to know this time, next time. That's only fair, you know, after, after all I've been through, Um, I want to ask you about future prospects. Uh, If you had your choice, would you rather have a, another baseline, say uh, on another planet, maybe Mars is nice this time of year. Would you rather have, um, you know, higher frequency? Would you like to do optical? I mean, could you use an optical interferometry on a planetary scale to get even better? measurements of the uh, event horizon, maybe even closer in, zoom in, or is this basically at the limits of what we'll ever know about the, you know, kind of shape, configuration, magnetic field of black holes?
2: We're astronomers, you know, we want it all, right? So we, we, we want all of this, all of the above. Um but yes, I mean we first start with more baselines on Earth to give slightly more robust uh, measurements. Uh we're really at the limit of uh, what we can do at, at the moment with these few telescopes. As I said, you know, we're I'm involved in a in, in a project. We're trying to get the telescope into a you know, continent is missing uh, at this moment. Uh, and then eventually you go to space uh, and you want to go to higher frequencies as well. you know the higher the frequencies, the longer the separation of the telescopes, the better the image. Now going to Mars is probably you know, initially a bit far away um, to, to do it because you really you know it's overkill. you are really uh, having too much resolution actually. So you don't want to do that. Uh, and if you want to see things that are so small that you have to put a telescope on Mars, it has to be insanely big, mm. because you know they'll be weak typically, and uh, uh, and so. Um, and it takes a long time for Mars to rotate around uh, the Sun uh, and Earth. So you because that's what we, we we're using the Earth to look at it from different directions, right? The Earth rotates, and we, we we're using that effect. So, you know, somewhere in space between, you know, a medium Earth orbit to, uh, you know, people talk about even the Moon, I, I think that, that probably is already a bit too far away. But really, you know, we, we, we've done a study, you know, what we call the Event Horizon Imager. If you put uh, three dishes, don't even have to be very big around Earth at 15,000 kilometer altitude from the center. Uh, you get almost perfect, perfect images. Uh, sharp images, you know, n- nothing, you know, not this donut anymore. You see wisps of the black hole and so forth. So it's, it's sci-fi can become reality. It's a question of will and, and of money, of course.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. So Nico's asking, do you have any hopes for the Nobel Prize in 2021? I am not going to talk about that. I assume they mean no. me, not you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah it, it, right. It wouldn't um, be out of no. the question. Look how many uh, Nobel Prizes have gone to black holes in just the last three years. It's an incredible.
2: Um, so kind of, uh, I mean I think what really qualifies me uh, for Nobel no prizes I've appeared on your show I guess so that's, uh, that's <laughs> that that really might
1: cool. disqualify you Heina. You, <laughs> you don't know I mean, you might know in my book uh, uh, about yeah, losing I, it but, um, but I, I you know, know I know you, yeah um, so last question I have uh, from uh, from myself and then I'll open it up on Clubhouse on a couple more on YouTube is um, if it, are we at the same you know precipice as you know for example LIGO once once LIGO Really made convincing discoveries. Now it's turned into, you know, it has hundreds of discoveries. It has, it's become statistically significant, not just one off mesmerizing discovery. So I analogize their discovery in 2015, 2016 with your 2019 discovery. When will you get into the kind of just, you know, discovery a day or uh, imaging a day? Or will that never happen based on, you know, how exquisitely? precise these images have to be and how much time that takes. Will you ever get to the level yeah. of
2: statistical measurements, black hole
1: event horizons every day?
2: Yeah, good point. That, that, I mean, that's what I said before, the, the gravitational waves, they have many, many sources, but they're, they're gone very quickly. We only have, at this point, two sources. All the other ones are too far away or too small. All the Earth is too small, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> however you like it. On the other hand, it's, it's amazing that the Earth is just big enough, right? So, it's just big enough, yeah. Right. Um an and difference. you you know normally you could go to higher frequencies and you become more precise but if you go to the uh, like ter- terahertz regime, higher frequency radios the atmosphere actually shuts off. Mm. So we're really really okay. at the edge of what you can do from the ground. Um, but we can do it well, we can do it better uh, and and uh, and I think we have like, we want to do a movie, we can do a movie from 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 the ground yeah but it it will remain hard work. It's not that we get just bang, 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 many images. Each of these images will be I think a masterpiece and, and valuable in itself, but it will inc- involve a lot of hard work. And if you want to see you know dozens and thousands of black holes, you have to go to to the space mission mm. uh, and that that will take a while. so um, I think every result, every paper that we publish will remain precious for the next couple of years. Yeah, every every source, every paper,
1: just like every person uh, is precious on the team, no doubt. I know it's been such a pleasure. I've started to read your book. You were kind enough to send me an advance copy in in English. I requested a German copy. Uh, I don't know. I must have gotten it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, okay, I good. I only know one word in German. Is it true that the word, what is the word for ambulance in German? Krankenwagen. Krankenwagen, yes, that's my favorite word in all of German. (laughs) Call a Krankenwagen for the for Keating. Um I want to thank you for your time and congratulate you and your team on success. As we said at the very beginning, uh the team and dynamics and human uh, enterprise that is science. We are always thought of scientists as walking Wikipedias or something, but but actually the hardest part is to realize we're all human beings and to coordinate this is really a testimony to you and your team. And I wish you great luck with it. And I want to have you back later this spring once your book is out and available in America, at least. Um, and we'll, uh, I'm already really tearing through it, enjoying it, I know we're kindred spirits. I'd like to talk to you uh, in great depth. Uh, but for now, it's late there. You have plans uh, for a celebration dinner. I don't want to keep you from that. And we're going to sign off. So please, yes, everybody do uh, look into Hino's book. You can get it on Amazon already. There's a link in the YouTube description. While you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. We have, as I said, David Spergel coming up very soon. You'll be surprised how soon he comes out. Uh, Sarah Seeger and John Mather, just to name a few. And you can find past videos to Roger Penrose, Frank Wilczek, as well as with, uh, as with Jana Levin and Katie Fries and all these great black hole aficionados. Do not miss it. Haino, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for going Into the Impossible, part one, part two to come. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, Congratulations that's great. Yeah, you. have, a,
0: have a good day. Bye-bye. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Hello, I'm Stuart Volco, producer of Into the Impossible. If you enjoyed this episode with Professor Brian Keating, please let us know by subscribing, commenting, sharing, and most importantly, rating and leaving reviews. It really helps keep our universe expanding. We appreciate hearing from you and read every review and comment. And we're always open to your suggestions for future episodes. Watch our YouTube channel at Dr. Brian Keating, Dr. Brian Keating, and join our premieres every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for live chats. Follow Brian on Twitter, Medium, and support us on Patreon at... Dr. Brian Keating, that's Dr. Brian Keating. For free access to exclusive content, please visit Professor Keating's website and sign up for his informative newsletter at briankeating.com. Into the Impossible is produced with the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination in the Division of Physical Sciences at the University of California, San Diego. Eric Viri, Director. Brian Keating, Co-Director. Patrick Coleman, Associate Director. Produced by... Stuart Volko and Brian Keating. For more information on the Arthur C. Clark Center, go to imagination.ucsd.edu.